Welcome to the Kingdom Women Podcast, a podcast by and for women who seek to fully and freely live the gospel reality of Christ's kingdom come. Through our candid conversations here, our desire is that our union with Christ will deepen and that His kingdom will come in us and through us, that we all may be free indeed. So tonight we're going to be talking about, in our in our theme here, relationships, about relationships with our family, and we decided we're going to stick with um, talking about relating to our, maybe our family of origin, because, you know, we can talk about our family of origin, we can talk about our current family, some of us, you know, with raising families, or, or we have even, Gwen has children that are grown, and she has the whole grandchild dynamic and all that, you know, that stage of life but we'll talk about um relating to our families of origin we all recognize um that sometimes relationships with family of origin can be difficult to navigate um our own stories intertwined with that can be difficult and um so we just thought it'd be a good topic to discuss and talk about and kind of hash out here so grab your coffee and join us and the, and the question we want to kind of circle around is like, what, how, how does, how does um, a, a godly woman, a kingdom woman relate to her family? Maybe particularly if there has been, if there's pain associated with that, or if there's been difficulty or chaos in her family relationships, how do we relate to that? Oh, I know that it's, um, it's a little difficult some days. I know that there's been background stuff in my family, but you know, a lot of it years past, but I think that I act like a different person around my family. And it's not, it's not, it's different from what I act around my friends. So, you know, whether I'm maybe being honest or not, it's, it's, it's something that I've had to think about and reconcile with myself and my current uh, way of relating to my family because I have been thinking about it like how do I act can I act uh, genuine and authentic around them or is am I um, putting on kind of a front or remaining in the background even just so that I don't draw attention to myself and I, it's kind of weird not negative or I don't know how to say what so so you're you're saying that that maybe there's been some difficulty in relationships. And so you're trying to decide if, if you're defaulting to something that is, that feels safe, but maybe isn't the most healthy or, or wise. Mm-hmm. Very was much, that, yeah. Or authentic. Or maybe yeah, authentic, yeah. But maybe it really isn't safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Um, I don't really feel safe being truly authentic in my family. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty honest person. I think I, uh, I'm not sure how to say what I mean. Families can be very critical. Friends often aren't, and I I understand what Re- what Rosanna is saying about not being fully oneself and. So maybe we can try to kind of determine whether that's unhealthy or why. I kind of have a thought about that, that I drew with regards to like 
um, but uh, like a diagram that I had in mind that I drew with regards to things like um, like racial divisions in the church. But I think it applies to these kind of things where there is a there is a chasm between people. So like when you have two uh, a relationship and there is a huge like there you know it's a cliff and there's a chasm in between like there's a gap oftentimes if that gap was created by someone say someone who was uh you know who did something wrong who in that relationship Mm -hmm. in like an abusive way whether it's like racism or whether it's like emotionally or yeah you know and all that they've they're the ones who created the gap and so you could forgive them if that if that gap in that relationship exists, but you cannot take a bridge and go over to their side as in mm-hmm. to, to go back into that situation of um, unhealthiness or abuse because that's not what is supposed to happen. That's, that's just going back into a situation where you're just going to become a victim again. So I kind of feel like you can forgive, but when it comes to building back a relationship, often I, I do think that it takes change. and it, it takes them being the, the first one to sort of, you know, at least acknowledge that there was a wrong, for example, or to build or to create a place where reconcili- reconciliation can happen. If not, you're just going back into that same situation where you're just going to be, you know, hurt or all that again. And I know that Christians are supposed to um, always, you know, uh, forgive and always give people second chances when they genuinely repent. But also when it comes to reconciliation, I do think that we all, I guess church culture, I feel, always puts the, the responsibility on people who have been hurt to bridge out and to reach out across that chasm to the person yeah. who hurt them, even when they persist in hurting them or persist in doing something wrong or yeah. don't see things from the other person's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think in I my like case, a lot, of, a lot of the things that I think, this, the dynamic that happened is I left home at maybe 18 or so. I was really young and I have not lived with my family or even been around my family a lot since then because I live farther away and well I see them once or twice a year but it's not like they really know who I am anymore and who I was at 18 is definitely not who I am at 45 or 47 you know whatever so it's it's I don't I don't relate to my family like I do my friends because we're not that close or and they don't, they don't really know me for who I am. I mean, uh, I just, that mentor, mental picture that I have, I, I guess, uh, I'm sure there's like flaws in it and there's situations that doesn't fit. You guys are free to well, disagree I, too. I, I think well, the, oh, go ahead. No, that's all right. Go ahead, Sarah. I think the biggest, the biggest place where I think that breaks down, Rebecca, is where I'm sitting over here on my side of the cliff and I see myself as the one who's been injured or has been offended. And I have my reasons for thinking that, but my family member on the other side of the chasm Mm. feels that I'm the one who's broken the relationship by the choices that I've made or the direction that I've gone. And so here you are in two Mm -hmm. different places, both looking across at the other thinking, you broke this up. 
<laughs> and you know <laughs> yeah yeah I was thinking of that originally in terms of like abuse or like when there's clearly one person in the wrong when it's a, you're right that when it's you know when it's a relationship that has uh two people who are at odds with each other that's just gonna make things worse yeah <laughs> well and another thing relationships with family are the ones that began with little boundaries like as in nobody if I've known somebody from a baby on up I'm going to assume that I know them mm -hmm. and if they change I may not be as flexible because after all they're family they know that I know them you know they're going to take everything I say yeah. just at point blank value because of assuming things about me or that I may assume things about them you tend to have less tact with your family or less less filter. boundaries rather yeah. than normal ones less mm -hmm. less less filter and and we also tend <laughs> to with our families they they're locked I, I think my family has sometimes looked at me like I was a I was a I wasn't always the nicest kid or the nicest sister you know I had my flaws too and mm -hmm. and my family um, some of my family has tended to look at me as that is still who I am. Right. <laughs> I also moved out at 19 and, um, mm -hmm. you know, series of, of changes and growth and all this, but they were not with me in that change and in that growth. Mm -hmm. And so to them, and, and do we do that to our own family members too, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. we can't, we can't get across this chasm because we still have, we still are perceiving them as the person they once were. Mm -hmm. And especially for those of us that live at, at a distance from our families, we're not mm -hmm. walking, you know, with them. We're not living in their, in the same community. We don't know mm -hmm. what is impacting them. We don't know what, what ways they're seeking out growth and mm -hmm. healing. And so in, in our mind's eyes, they also are the person they've always been. And it's hard mm -hmm. for us to maybe see them for who they really are. And so so if that's the chasm we're talking about, like I, I, I connect with Rebecca's um, illustration because especially in cases of like, or if there's, if there's been abuse, say an abusive yes. parent and um, that has never been acknowledged, that has never been, um, you know, by the abuser, that's never been named or owned. You're here, they're there and you can honor, you can you know, you can maintain what relationship you can, but that, that gap is just going to be there. And I mm -hmm. think that's just a reality. But what if it's, what if it's, what if it's not to that degree? What if there's just this gap of, I'm, I'm viewing you the way I think you all, you still are, and maybe you've changed, or you are viewing me that way. How do we, how do we get across that chasm? Mm -hmm. How do we open those conversations? Uh, I think it is yeah. really important. I think, I think a lot of it has to do with um, letting your guard down and, and being willing to say, Hey, you know, I don't know you. It's been 10 years since we had a good conversation. Um, tell me ways that you've changed and grown. Um, tell me questions that you have about me and my life and, um, at least opening the door. And, and I'm, I guess for me, yes, there's some relationships where there is clear hurt and, and abuse or whatever you, you want to say in my personal family dynamic, but most of the, of the gap is there because of a lack of communication or even a fear of communication, because if we tell where we're really at, 
Will they accept Mm -hmm. us? Will they want to be around us? Will I have even the tenuous relationship that we currently um, hold? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a, there's a temptation to just protect myself and not even try to go there, not even try to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when you do, that's when, that's when the other, I I guess for myself, I I come from a family of 10. And so it's hard. I mean, 10 siblings plus my parents. So it's obviously hard to stay in close contact with nine other adults now. Um, But yet, you know, sometimes, like you said, we do still have that perspective that they're still here, but I know how much I've changed and grown since I left home 16 years ago and are 17. And I can assume that they're not the same person that they used to be either. So we have to, as long as there's not ongoing hurts and repetitive bad behaviors that militate against rebuilding a relationship, it's important to reach out and at least open that door. Mm -hmm. I, I just feel, I just feel kind of the urge to share, um, to share a little bit of my story with my sister. I have one sister. She's 10 years younger than me. Um, there was a lot of chaos in our home growing up. And um, so, you know, I was a teenager when she was, when she was young and a lot of turmoil and we were not mm-hmm. close. And um, I, I was, no, I was not always very kind to her at all. And of course that marked her and that marked our relationship. And I resented I resented the closeness that it seemed like um, she had with my mom. Um, my mom, you know, she was my mom's youngest. So of course, of course, you know, it's, it, to me, it felt like my mom favored her. Um, fast forward, we're both adults. Um, and we had, you know, we had mended uh, when she was in her, she was probably 19, 20. No, she was 20 couple and um, came and spent a weekend with me and, and I, I attempted to talk through some of the things and make, and make amends, own the ways that I recognized yes. that I had hurt her and, um, you know, trying to bridge that chasm <laughs> that I had helped to create. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, and so we, we began to develop a relationship, but um, this was nothing deliberate on her part. And I think, you know, maybe before that we, uh, <laughs> before we broadcast this, I need to check in with her and make sure it's okay that I share this, this piece of, because this is her story too, but there's such a beautiful ending and I don't think she'll mind me sharing um, these particulars. I felt in the years after that, in the probably 10 years after that, I felt like in some of the ways that she related to me, that she still was viewing me as kind of the bossy, um, resentful, mean, big sister. And, um, and I felt like I could not overcome that. Mm-hmm. And so I, our relationship was, um, you know, we had a, a relationship, but I didn't trust her. I didn't, I didn't trust her. And she didn't, it felt like she didn't fully trust me either. A couple of years ago, um, maybe three, four years ago, I don't even know what started the conversation, but we began to talk about it in a way we never had before our family dynamics and what had shaped us. And um, she was, you know, I had done some therapy and healing and she had also been doing some therapy and, and talking through some of this stuff. And so we were both at a really good place where we could talk through 
um, these dynamics and start to both of us reach across the chasm. And, and it was, it was really, really neat to be able to process some of the, some of the painful things that had happened in our family for me for the first time to hear what it was like from her perspective, 10 years younger than me. And for her to hear my experience um, as one of the older kids kind of forging the way through some of this stuff mm-hmm. and, and listening to each other and really understanding it was powerful. And my sister has become my best friend. And 10 years ago, I didn't think that would ever happen. So uh, it's just the grace of God. It's not like we're some, you know, somehow, you know, we got this all together and whatever, but mm-hmm. I am so thankful. And it, what you were saying, Sarah, about we have to be willing to take the risk to have the conversations and, and bring some, bring some of this stuff to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And be open to the idea that maybe they've changed too, and maybe they've matured and not always keep them where, where they were. Yeah. I know that happened with me with, with one of my sisters who I, I don't know that she'll ever listen to this either, but um, it was really meaningful to me a couple of years ago. Um, she, she, she's the sister. Well, yeah, I won't go into our exact relationship or sorry. Order. Um, order. order. Yes. <laughs> but let's just <laughs> say that, um, she, she had always been super, um, just, she was a great, sweet girl, um, very much under authority. And so I never felt like she really understood some of the dynamic, uh, you know, under authority. You all know what I mean? Like Bill yeah. under authority. Okay. So yeah. like, and she had um, gotten married young and stepped right into a marriage relationship. And I always felt like um, she didn't trust me and didn't understand why I had made some of the choices I made in my 20s mm-hmm. and um, to, to step away from home and start out making some adult decisions. So for 10 years or more, we didn't really like... I helped her have her babies and we had a relationship back and forth like that, but we never talked about the deep heart things. And we had been pretty close as teenagers. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just felt like it was a threat to her. And even like she would have, it would have made her feel disloyal to my parents to maybe just their whole paradigm. Um, But she reached out a couple of years ago. She came and visited me and she said, Mm -hmm. she started asking questions, you know, why did you do what you did? And Mm -hmm. um, she, her openness And, um, you know, I, I shared some of what I had experienced and she, um, she said, or I know what what it was. I, I shared some of my current concerns with my relationship, specifically with my parents and my inability to communicate, um, openly and honestly with them on some levels. And she's like, well, you know, it's not like that for me. And I just had to walk away for a little bit because I was like, it's never been like that for you. You never broke those boundaries. You never had that uh, rupture. And so you can't understand what I'm talking about, you know? And, and then I came back to her. And the first thing she said to me when I came back was, you know, it wasn't that way for me, but I believe you. And I know that your dynamic was different than mine. And to be able to say that to someone else, I can't relate. I did not experience that from my parents or from this sibling, but I believe you. And I understand that this was a real dynamic in your life creates a whole, um, a whole space for relationship growth and understanding. 
Those are some of the most powerful words. Mm -hmm. I yes. believe you. Yeah. <laughs> those are such powerful words. Mm. Yep. Healing For words. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you all ever think about like like the differences in your lives that that um I only I only have two brothers. I don't have sisters and they're both mm -hmm. into like the trucking world, which I really know nothing mm -hmm. about. Um, they both, they, they live very, very different lives than what I do. And that's been, that's been a barrier because what do you talk about when you're with your siblings? You know, like, uh, me, it's like, okay, I go to work every day. I come home, I eat supper, I go to work every day. Yes. <laughs> um, our, our lives don't intersect and they don't have a lot in common. And we, so that's one of the things I think about sometimes when I discuss, you know, or when I'm with my family, like, wow, what do I even talk about, you know? But I do really enjoy my brothers, and I feel like they've really been, become successful and uh, very uh, happy. You know, both of them are married to wonderful ladies, and and uh, it's just so neat to see. I know with my, my own relationship not working out well, I just, I'm delighted that I have mm -hmm. brothers who married great partners. Uh, Rebecca, do you have one sibling? Yeah, I just have a brother, just one. <laughs> okay. So we're both from small families. <laughs> yeah, not from, not from giant mega families. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a mega family back then, it was a quiverful family back then. A quiverful, <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> um so what what do you guys like i'm just curious if you've had some difficulty in your family um if there's been some turmoil and rupture and broken relationships um how do you guys handle like the whole issue of taking responsibility for or um yeah maybe maybe the guilt that, that accompanies that like I should have mm -hmm. if I would have been a better daughter if I would have been mm -hmm. a different sister if I would have done this or that um yeah what do y'all do with that with the with maybe the guilt is, is if maybe it's not even legitimate guilt maybe there was nothing you could do but but that tends to accompany ruptured relationships is just mm -hmm. you have to examine um what 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 part did I play in that how do you how do you guys handle that? Wow. Or what what advice would I, you give somebody who says, Well, it's all my fault. I could have done differently. I, I always say when you grow, you change. So um yeah. Um I know that I was probably a difficult child. Um and I had some difficult things to work through with my relationship. Um, with my dad especially but um, one of the things that I did was deliberately own my own behavior. Um, I remember when I was 20 you know I wrote a letter to my dad pretty well saying you know dad I recognize that there were breakdowns in our family and that I didn't do my part when I was a child or a teenager you know older child not well you're a little child it's not really your fault. Mm -hmm. But when you're a teenager and the way you respond back, um, I told him that I didn't, I recognize where I yelled at him 
or where I rebelled and that I want to make my part right. My dad never answered me and I don't ever expect him to acknowledge that. But, um, and that's another maybe funky family dynamic, but but I I felt like I could lay that down. And am I at ease around him? No, but I own it and I make, I make, uh, I actually go out of my way to maintain a relationship there. Um, do I feel guilty now for the heartache and some of the pain that I went through as a child? No. Um, I, I feel like I had to own that. Um, is that some of the reason that I tend to, to just uh, maybe not know how to relate to my family? Probably. I mean, my family is, is great and they're functional and they're, they're, they, they all live close together. Um, so I know that their family relationships now are pretty good, but I don't, I don't, um, I don't carry a lot of guilt, but I do carry some anxiety. Like when I'm around them, like I think maybe um, making sure that I feel good about myself is something that I pay attention to um, because I'd rather shut up than say something awkward or something mm -hmm. disrespectful. And um, I don't know that we've, all together broken a few little things like that. I mean, it's because we think we know each other, whether we do or don't. I don't know. Maybe I do carry a little more anxiety well, or I, fear more than the guilt. Yeah. I, I think, you know, for, for me personally, I too have processed through and understood that I'm not responsible for that, for, for what happened to, mm -hmm. you know, it, within our family or to me personally, how mm -hmm. I was treated maybe as a child or a teen. I think now I, 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 I would, I just question sometimes now whether I am relating, especially to my, to my dad, because the breakdown mm -hmm. was with my dad primarily too, um, you know, now, Am I doing everything that a oh, good Christian woman should do to maintain <laughs> relationship with a dad who has never acknowledged um, the harm maybe that he caused, not maybe that he caused, the harm that he caused. Um, and I, I, and I, and I just, just talking about that here and thinking about that, I'm, I'm realizing that I am still living with some of the Bill Gothard type pressure of you must maintain this specific kind of relationship mm -hmm. with a father and Rebecca's rolling her eyes <laughs> <laughs> no matter what because mm -hmm. he is your father and he deserves all the respect no matter what and 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 the idea that if you take yes. loose from For sure. go ahead Sarah and the idea that if you do that all right and follow the 10 steps or however many there are, yes. that you will have that beautiful relationship, that that the the fact that that beautiful relationship isn't there means that you have failed somehow. Yeah. And that's simply yeah. not biblical. It's no. not part of the grace of God that meets us right where we're at, shows us right. our responsibilities, and there's clear lines. And I would say I, 
I worked through it too. I, I struggled with a lot of guilt in the first few years after I, I said, this is the direction I'm going with my life. I was actually told that, you know, because I was a rebel, that any rebellion that my younger siblings uh, manifested after that was at least partly my fault um, because I had let, yeah, whatever, a spirit of rebellion into the home. Um, and so it was very painful to walk, um, to watch younger siblings struggle with the Lord, with their relationship with the Lord and their needs in their life. And every time I would ask myself, wow, what if I had just stayed home? I mean, I was 23 before I left home. And um, so it wasn't like I was a runaway <laughs> or something, you know, and, and our siblings lifespan was 20 years. So if I like from the oldest to the youngest, so if I'd waited till they were all grown, I would have been home quite a long time. But all that to say that I still struggled with wondering, well, maybe God wanted me to just stay there till I was you know, 38 and raise my siblings. But then the Lord really laid it clearly on my heart. God gave those children to my parents. I'm not their mom and dad. And secondarily, those children, I can't save them. That is the work of Christ. And, and that is so between those two people is where the primary responsibility lays. And my responsibility is to manifest before them the life of Christ. And if mm -hmm. I cannot do that in a healthy way in that situation, then it's my obligation mm -hmm. to put myself in a place where I can thrive spiritually and give them a vision and a hope for a spiritually um, and relationally strong uh, walk with the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just... I don't think that every relationship means that you keep sticking your neck out again and again to, I mean, like you right. can have respect and you can have um, some kind of functioning relationship, but whether uh, people are willing to ever listen or, you know, there's just some relationships, I think, where you have to have those boundaries and it's not mm -hmm. wrong to have certain boundaries that be like, you know, you... You um, don't necessarily have to tell them everything that's going on in your life or you don't necessarily have to, you know, like there's no one box for a godly relationship. And sometimes having, um, having healthy boundaries to, you know, prevent being manipulated or guilted or just a bunch of things. I think that's fine, you know, like I, and sometimes people can feel like the Christian guilt that I must, I must keep uh, opening up myself again, even if it keeps getting me hurt or surely I must not be doing enough. I mean, those kind of like Christian guilt things when I hear them definitely feel very irritating because I just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come yeah, on, you don't need yeah. to feel that guilt. You can, you can have a, you can have some distance. It's okay. Maybe right. it's healthy. Right. And it's, it's, it's a lot easier for me. I'm guessing it's this way for a lot of people. It's a lot easier for me to look at you and say that to you <laughs> about your yes. situation. But when it's my own situation, it's like, well, am I doing all that I should and can? But yes. I agree with you, Rebecca. I, and and I, I'd love, I, I'd like to, I would love to differentiate a little bit between um, respect versus honor. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it is so important to honor others, even if they are not or have not behaved in ways that are deserving of respect. Mm -hmm. We still mm -hmm. honor 
um, yes. we still are called to honor and that honor does not give a free pass mm -hmm. um, to bad behavior or to um, toxic ways of relating or to abuse does not give a free pass honor actually might will, will set boundaries that will boundary out that kind of behavior and will not allow someone to continue sinning relationally mm -hmm. um, and so I think I think that's that's kind of what you were getting at Rebecca that that am I right that the, the mm -hmm. boundaries are there not necessarily just to keep me from getting hurt but to prevent the other person from continuing with a pattern that is harmful that is mm -hmm. you know it's, it's thwarting them in in some of those some of those patterns and that's the most loving thing to do right mm -hmm. the most loving thing to do for someone is to thwart them from sin whatever mm -hmm. sin that takes that whatever shape that sin takes and so that's I'm the most honoring thing to do go ahead sarah as it just i always want to be practical myself but yes. people say healthy boundaries healthy boundaries healthy boundaries what does that look like for each of you in your in your varied relationships where do you draw the line is it always about saying no to people or is it about saying sometimes yes I can do X, Y, or Z. Um, yeah. What, what do healthy boundaries look like for you, Judy, for you, Gwen, for you, Roseanne? Hmm. Yeah. It's a, you know, that's one thing I've decided. Um, I'm not going to um, speak disrespectfully to any of my family. That's one of the things that I've done. And if they speak disrespectfully about me or to me, um, and it doesn't happen often. I don't know even when it, I, there's conversations that happen that I'm like, whoa, you know, I don't really like the way that feels, but then I had to ask whether that's me or them. But mm -hmm. if, if somebody engages me in a way that I don't feel comfortable with, either I need to follow it up or be quiet and, and go do something else. And usually in company of my family, I'll just go off, do something different. I, and, and, out of this situation. Yeah. I, we, I, I used to call ourselves sort of like one of these loud uh, families. You know, we'd always say what we think and feel. And whether, whether uh, I don't know whether it was kind or not. And I've had to, I've, I learned years ago, you just can't do that. And, and I, we've all grown up since, but that's how we would have been as children and stuff, really engaging in a lot of verbal scuffles. And occasionally somebody will just sort of fall back into this slight pattern of like just saying something disrespectful. And me included, I've caught myself doing it. And I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't who you want to be. So that's one of the boundaries that I've made. You know, I'm never going to say something bad, even if it's joking, because bad or it's disrespectful joking is still disrespectful. Um, and, and I don't need to say it. So that's one thing I've personally paid attention to in my life. Um, and I just, uh, there's, I'm not uh, very wealthy. <laughs> Most of the time I'm living on, you know, 50 bucks, you know, or something like that. But, um, 
and that's another thing. I won't go on expensive family vacations with my family because I'm realizing that I don't really want to have them pay for me to do something like that because even though they could afford it, I don't want to be a user, somebody that mm-hmm. takes from them. And it just doesn't feel good to me. And I think it might be more about me than it is about them, but it just, yeah. So that's another boundary. Mm-hmm. I, I think for, for me, the boundaries are that I, um, I refuse to let uh, pressure rule the way I will respond or participate um, in, in family activity. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be sensitive to how, how my participation or lack thereof affects family members. And I'm thinking about both my husband's family and my family. But um, yeah, Mennonite culture can, we can, we can use a lot of shame <laughs> to pressure each other into certain types of responses and behaviors. And mm-hmm. so I, I've, I've, yeah, I've really chosen to step away from allowing that kind of pressure to rule me. Um, similar to Rosanna's family, my family has used a lot of, we grew up using a lot of sarcasm, just, we just knew how to cut each other with words. Mm-hmm. And while I, while I can handle some sarcasm, you know, and recognize that it's not all, it's not all meant to bite and cut. Um, personally, I don't use a lot of sarcasm anymore because I, I know how damaging it can be. And if, if that, if that style of, of, of relating, if that comes up, you know, in my family, I just step away. I don't participate. Um, and there've been times when, you know, I'm with my family and conversations happen or, or things happen. Um, and I'll just, go outside, go for a walk, um, mm-hmm. clear my head, step away. And that's just my way of, say, of, of like not, not getting pulled into the drama and giving myself space to clear. Now, I don't live near my family. Um, <laughs> I think I've thanked God for that, actually. I, I can, I don't know if this speaks to my need for, for growth yet, or if it's just a mercy God has given me, but I am thankful that I have that space because I feel like I can have better relationships with my family um, mm-hmm. living at a distance. And so when we are together, we're together for, you know, chunks of time for a weekend. And so we're in close, we're in close quarters and we don't, we, there's not space. Um, and so that's just, I just step away. I go for a walk or, you know, run to the store for something because yeah, we need, always are needing something when we're together as a family. Um, and then it's just, yeah. And, it, but it gives, it gives, it gives me that space um, to clear my own head and to prevent me from doing something or saying something that I will regret. And it also um, lets my family, it, it, it speaks to them of what I will accept and tolerate and what I won't. And I have also gotten bolder at speaking up, you know, and just, just speaking up how certain things affect me. Um, and some of my siblings have also, you know, have also moved into real growth and that's been really helpful too. 
and with my dad, who is, is the, the one in my family who I really don't have much of a relationship with, um, I, I can't, I don't really uh, do well with the pretense that everything is okay. And so when, when that starts to come up, um, again, I just kind of remove myself. I don't want to, I don't want to get in his face or be disrespectful or call him out. But when some of the pretense that everything is okay, and we're, you know, this, we're this wonderful, happy, connected family starts to come up in conversation. I'm not going to call it out, but I'm not going to participate in it either. So that, I don't know, does that, that that's a boundary, mm-hmm. I suppose, that I've set for myself. Mm-hmm. What does it look like for you, Sarah? Yeah, I also live pretty far away from most of my family, so I don't have um, a lot of time together with them. Um, but I do, yeah, I don't know that I have set a lot of boundaries. For me, I would say one thing that I, I don't know if it's a boundary or if it's a permission I've given myself, and that is um, I don't mm-hmm. actually hear a lot from my family, um, but I've given myself the permission to not feel unwanted and to reach out anyways and mm-hmm. to insert myself in their life like I belong there because I do. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think, yeah, we all understand here on this podcast, but my family just went through a painful loss of one of my siblings. And something that I've just been meditating on a lot is we are the ones that show up when Mm -hmm. these things happen, when there's Mm -hmm. death, when there's birth, when there's marriage, um, ultimately, and our family is still strong enough. And I'm thankful for that, that we do all show up for those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes feeling like the black sheep of the family in certain ways can make me just want to sit back and be quiet, but to give myself permission Mm -hmm. to be part of the conversation, to bring my thoughts to the table, even if they're super, super different from everyone else. So I'm not sure if I would call that a boundary as much as I would call it a permission. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think, I think that's what, what, so what a lot of what I was saying, I like that. I would call it too a permission more than a boundary, a permission that I don't have to stay there and pretend that everything is hunky dory, mm-hmm. a permission that I don't have to, um, I can step away from conversations that start to get a little biting or a little, yeah, that, that trigger me in some way. I don't, I can, I give myself that permission. Mm-hmm. And I suppose in a sense that's boundarying it out maybe, but yeah, yeah, it's a permission maybe more than a boundary. I like that terminology. That's good. Mm. To give ourselves permission to, I think, yeah, for me too, is to give myself permission to like still be uh, being sanctified in some of this stuff. I mean, there yeah. are still mm-hmm. things that happen that take me back, you know, and all of a sudden I'm 15 again and, you know, trapped and, and helpless. And, you know, of course I'm an adult now I can talk myself out of that. No, Judy, you're, you're almost 50 and you're, you're not 15 anymore, but it, 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 it surfaces some of those, some of those feelings and to give myself the permission to step away and collect myself. Um, it's, it's necessary for me to be able to maintain the, the relationships that I, that I do have. Do you think, do you think with our families, like the potential of being hurt, 
is is a whole lot i don't know more i think families can hurt us the most and mm-hmm. we want their approval because they are ours they've always been ours you know our our mothers our fathers our, our brothers you know for me uh, sisters for y'all um they're the ones whose opinions really matter and mm-hmm. i think that that I think, I, I know that I have to analyze, am I, am I going to be brave enough to, to uh, I don't know, let them know this? I, I do, but sometimes it's a little embarrassing because I view, I view myself as being the inferior one in the family, <laughs> you know, because of, of the loss of my, uh, you know, me marrying uh, the, okay start over um, <laughs> yeah because of my separation and 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 uh you know raising the children it's been traumatic for me and I don't I did not when I was married I did not tell my family things that were going on and I have never told them all of it and I don't know if I ever will um the, the potential we have of maybe my husband someday repenting. I don't, I don't want to have to, him to have to live anything, anything terrible down. Um, but yeah, they, mm-hmm. th- those things did in, impact my family. And, and some of the things that I think about when we're together, you know, and I'm seeing the close-knit relationships they have with their spouses. And um, mm-hmm. it hurts. <laughs> And, and when I'm seeing their, um, their freedom to be family together, you know, beings that they live, they all live together. My brothers see each other about every day. Um, the, I don't know, they know each other. They're, they're in each other's lives. And it's really, yeah. it's really different between me and them. And to try to, uh, to uh, Sometimes I just don't address that stuff. And I don't know that I ever will for sure yet, but. And I, uh, I, think, I think the dynamic of, you know, the abusive marriage that you were in and the separation now, and, and maybe there's an element of being misunderstood by your family and some of that, and some of that, that, that makes maybe. it difficult to, makes it difficult to think that they may even want to try to understand. I think they what I've done, do, but it, it's kind of like they had questions, some that I didn't want to answer because I don't want to make other people look bad. Not not anything to do with my family. I don't want to involve. Yeah, there's just so much I don't share with them, yeah. whether I could or not. But there's things that I'll only share with my best friends, yeah. you know, and the people that well, have think- been there for me. I think that's where I've given, that's another permission I've given myself, mm-hmm. if you will, is that you mentioned the whole thing of like, we, we want our family's approval mm-hmm. and acceptance more than anyone else. So and there's I, this I, fear I, rocking I, the boat. <laughs> yeah. And I've mm-hmm. stepped away from that. I mean, from, from the time I left home, I didn't have that, um, acceptance or approval uh, mm-hmm. for a long long time not actually when I married my husband that um, my parents really respected him and so that sort of restored me to approval but mm-hmm. through that whole process <laughs> and since 
I've given myself the permission to not need their approval. And it's been really freeing. It's actually freed me up to be more honest um, and more um, vulnerable, forthright, kind. Mm -hmm. I try very hard to be kind because I, I don't want to, to cause harm. I do want to honor. Mm-hmm. But um, yes. that, that need for approval, that that is where I get my most approval. As you were talking about that, I'm thinking like, hmm, where do I most feel the desire for approval and acceptance? It'll actually be with my church family. I mean, my, mm-hmm. so many, so our church family has become our family, really, um, in many ways. There is still like you have history with your family of origin mm-hmm. that gives you a connection or a perspective or you, know, you, have, you have your little things you remember and laugh about together and the memories and all mm-hmm. that. And you don't have I, I don't have that at my church family. I've only been there 10 years. But um, yeah, the, the permission <laughs> to not need that, that to, to release them from giving me approval has been really mm-hmm. freeing. I remember I remember when I'm, I was the only girl in my family and I was always excited about my brothers getting married and mm-hmm. me potentially having sisters, you know, <laughs> sister-in-laws, yes. but it's never going to be like me having a sister, but it's been fun to have them in the family. But also I, I do remember right at first wondering like, is my mom going to still love me? You know, <laughs> uh, We're close though. And, and she still does. But it was kind of funny because I never imagined, I never had to, had to ha- worry. I mean, I was 30, I was in my late 30s, I think, till I got a sister-in-law. <laughs> um, and now my mom loves them and she loves their, her grandchildren and stuff, you know, but she still loves me. And it's, it's still, you know. Um, There's enough love to go around. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of funny though, because I, I remember being kind of shocked and horrified at that feeling. Yes. (laughs) One thing I would say that I found as I've gotten older is a greater understanding of the struggles and the weaknesses that our parents faced. Mm -hmm. Um, Things that were so easy to blame them for Mm -hmm. as, as young adults and as teenagers. Um, you start to develop a more humble opinion of your own spiritual giantness mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> to recognize that, yeah, they were, they were reaching for the grace of Christ too in their own way. And, and one thing, one verse that always really speaks to me is um, Romans fifteen seven. It says, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And, and you know how Christ received us, in our sin, in our brokenness, in our ugliness. He received us totally, redeemed us, and transformed us. Mm-hmm. And when, yeah, we have to have, it has to not be a wounding relationship. Like we don't have to make ourselves vulnerable to being abused, mm-hmm. but a heart of reception towards our family for God's glory mm-hmm. goes a long way. Yeah. Um, to bridge those gaps and remind us to be kind, to be gentle, to be understanding um, in all the darkness of our misunderstandings and relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's a really, a really good point and something that I've thought about too, especially as my children have grown and I begin to understand that there's a lot of things pushing and pulling on me mm-hmm. as a parent. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
there are going to be things my kids have to forgive me for. There are mm-hmm. going to be things that I hope that I have the, um, I, I, I try now to have the humility to, to go back to them and say, this hurt you, I wronged you. And I mm-hmm. hope as they continue to grow and are able to process through, I would really like to be able to do, I don't know, probably a lot of you guys follow um, Dorcas Smucker's blog. Mm-hmm. She had a, a blog post a while back about how she sat down with her daughter to just hear her daughter out and to do something her own mother had done with her to hear her out and just draw to hear from her daughter about, you know, what, what were the things that hurt her growing up? Mm -hmm. And she sat and she listened and her daughter, you know, felt free to, because Dorcas made the space for it to, to speak of some of the things that had hurt her as a child, as a teen, as a whatever. And um, Dorcas's own mom had done that. So she had this model. And then, and then when it was all said and done, she asked her daughter, can I tell you some of what I really was feeling then? I did Mm -hmm. not, you know, I did not reject you or whatever it was. Um, But I, you know, just acknowledging that that the daughter had reason to feel that way. Her daughter Mm -hmm. had reason to feel that way. But but here's what was going on for me at that time. And when it was all said and done, Dorothy's daughter said to her, wow, it's like that stuff didn't even happen. Like it's so erased because she was heard, comforted, validated. All the things and, and Dorcas owned and acknowledged all those things explained. So her daughter could understand what was going on. And it was as if all of that was erased. I would really like to be able to do that for my children. And it, reading that blog post, you know, made me stop and think, you know, I know that my mother battled depression um, until I was uh, in my adolescence um, and she got some help for it. So of course that affected the way she parented me. And, mm-hmm. and just having that, being able to receive, like the, the scripture you read, Sarah, to receive her fully, to allow my parents to be flawed, um, mm-hmm. and, and to, even, to even release them from the demand or the expectation that they must yeah. own everything that they did wrong or whatever mm-hmm. that's not even fair I don't I don't that's not fair to put that on them I do think <laughs> that when there has been harm done yes that that it is important to own it and if someone cannot own the harm they've done they are not trustworthy and we mm-hmm. are not required to you cast our pearls before swine. I mean, that's yes. pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> rough way of saying it, but yeah, we're not required to do that and to open ourselves wide open. And like, like Rebecca said, you know, put our head on the chopping block again. Yes. But 100%. recognize you know, and with my own dad, I recognize that some of the things he experienced, some of the, some of the rejection and the trauma he experienced as a child and young man definitely shaped him in the way he could relate to us as his children. And I know my dad mm-hmm. loved me. I know that but he also harmed me. And I, there, I think it's, it's important for all of us to be honest about our stories. I do not honor my father, my mother, my family, when I pretend everything was wonderful. Yes. I don't honor them either when I only talk, uh, only um, pay attention to what was not wonderful and totally mm-hmm. ignore what was good. Honor involves honesty about both what was good and what was not mm-hmm. um, honesty with kindness that's honor and so we have to hold we have to tell it we have to be honest about what we experience um, if we're going to have healthy relationships 
Anyway, mm-hmm. Gwen was gone for a bit. Gwen's internet cut out on her and she's not, she was missed about 20, 20% of the conversation or 20 minutes, at least of the conversation. Gwen, what do you have to add to this? We'd like to hear from you. Well, I've appreciated what I've heard shared and I would have been glad to hear the rest. But in this thing of being honest with our stories, it's something that um, we discussed between us the other night when we were discussing this that I, I think is worth going over again is what that honesty looks like and, and how it, I'll back up. As a young person, I steadfastly refuse to speak truth about some really difficult things in my family because of the teaching about honoring our parents. And, and I rooted it. I don't know that anybody told me the story of Ham in that light, but I took the story of Ham and how he went out and told his brothers, you know, dad's in there drunk and naked and you got to come see this guys, you know, and, and then he was cursed and the brothers who backed up with the blankets and covered their father's nakedness were honored and blessed. And I took that to mean that you don't speak of your parents' flaws or sins. Mm. Um, Even when I would hear somebody give a testimony of deliverance from the awful damage their parents had done to them, while I could be blessed by it, I questioned, how can it be okay to expose your parents' nakedness? Now, I finally got to the point where I realized that on some level, when, when someone, I'll, when I hurt somebody else, that becomes their story. They are not speaking of evil of me inherently by telling what happened to them. Each person has the right to be honest with their own story. And I believe that we can be honest with the harm done to us by others without being disrespectful or Evil speaking has been really distorted, I believe, because when we're honestly telling what happened to us, we are not inherently speaking evil of somebody else. I believe that evil speaking is a motive. And when our motive is to speak healing to somebody else by sharing our story, then we are not speaking evil of somebody. We're just being honest with our story. But lest there are others who are hung up on that old ham story, I would love, Judy, if you would share what you shared with us the other night about what you learned from the Bible Project about the story of ham. Hmm. Well, yeah, this, the sin of ham had nothing to do with, um, with ham speaking evil of his father whatsoever. In fact... Um, I was just looking here. Um, oh, shoot, it went away. But in, in, I believe it's in the book of Leviticus. Yeah, no less than 17 times in Leviticus 18 alone, Moses used the phrase uncover the nakedness of as a euphemism for sexual intercourse and particularly for the sin of incest. And so that story has nothing to do 
with, uh, with how we speak of our parents, but rather Ham, when his father was too drunk to know what was going on, um, would, have had, um, would have had sex with his father's wife. And the, the outcome of that was a son named Canaan, whom Noah cursed. And I, I remember reading that story in the past and going, why in the world was Ham's son Canaan so cursed? Like, what did he do to deserve? Well, it wasn't what he did to deserve. It was what, it was what, he, it was not his fault either that he was the product of such a union. But because of that, he was cursed. And so if that story is, is, is construed, misconstrued to be uh, uh, some kind of, or twisted into some kind of instruction that we must not ever speak of anything wrong that our parents have done or speak evil of them or whatever. That is a complete misapplication of that story. It's, 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 a, it's a twisting. And it's another case of where we, where we don't know how to, we're not reading the scripture from the standpoint of culture and context. And we're, we're misapplying meaning to the story. Inevitably, our families have probably hurt us in some ways, and our families may continue to occasionally make mistakes. And one of the things that I think that I, I intend to pass along to my children <laughs> is the fact that I'm not perfect either. And I'm sure that someday they will say things about, about me and to me, you know, mom, and they have done this already. Mom, do you realize what you said or how that made me feel? And I'm going to have to go back and apologize for it. And as we were raised by our parents, sometimes we tend to try to raise our children without paying particular attention to it. And rather than continue a cycle of generational trauma or, or mistakes, each of us are learning from our families and or have learned from our families of things to do and things not to do. And to use that wisely for the knowledge and benefit of our children and our, our future health, uh, it's going to be integral to, to uh, it's going to be integral to drop our pride or our uh, 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 unease about being honest with our families. Yeah, I will venture to say that if we, if we are unwilling to be honest about, you know, some of the problems in our families of origin, we will not get free of the cycle. Um, mm -hmm. We will perpetuate the same things on, on our families. We have, to look at, we have to look at what went wrong in our family of origin so we can deal with it in our own lives and mm -hmm. change the patterns because we learn those patterns. I mean, I, I had to deliberately step away from the patterns of relating in sarcastic ways because yeah, it's, it, was the, it was the humor we used and, and, and it, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, think that, I, I, go ahead, Sarah. I think the number one thing I want to pass on to my children is like um, what Sarah nicely shared the other day. She said, boundaries come down to defined identity. If I know who I am and I'll insert here who I am in Christ, I won't let anyone mar that. Yeah. And if we can pass on to our children, the most important thing is who Jesus sees you as. Um, yeah, just to help them find that security and the identity in Christ alone um, heals a lot of those things. I know it was very healing for me 
to find mm-hmm. my approval and my identity yes. in the love of Christ in yes. the boundless, limitless. Yeah. Love of Christ. Yeah. Whether we crave that from our family of origin or like where I'm tempted to crave it from my church family mm-hmm. it's that's not where it's at. It's in, yeah. it's in, it's in Christ and who he says I am. That's powerful. And maybe a great way to wrap this episode up to heal, to grow identity is, is key knowing Jesus for who he really is, not who we've been told he is, um, but who he really is and, and knowing what he says, learning to hear his voice, what he says about us. Um, that's where it's at. Well, thank you for joining us and we will See you speak with speak at you <laughs> in the <next> episode <laughs> the kingdom women podcast is a member of the kingdom outpost podcast network for more articles and podcasts and resources regarding living in the kingdom go to www.kingdomoutpost.org